This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We got a lot to get to today. Sometimes I say that and uh, I mean it, but I don't mean it, mean it. Uh, Today I really mean it. We got a lot of good stuff coming up. Got to talk some Vikings here in a little bit because they made some news on uh, on Monday. Got Chip Scoggins, columnist on the show here in a little bit too. Had a really interesting piece in Sunday's paper on the kind of confluence of legal, you know, charitable gaming, a lot of pull tabs and youth sports and how that is funding a lot of youth sports in a big way, the big business of charitable gaming. I've got a a thought on the St. Paul Saints I want to share. I've got an update on Bally Sports North and uh, a little Kirill Kaprizov update as well. But first, what did I miss? Teased it at the outset. Yeah, Vikings. A couple things they did on Monday. Um, brought in Michael Osterholm. We should talk about that for just a minute to talk to the team about the vaccine to try to help improve what has been a lagging um, rate of vaccination on this team. Love the move. Love just you know getting getting these guys who are vaccine holdouts for whatever reason more information. Um, hopefully the FDA approval, the full approval Monday too of the Pfizer vaccine might have. A, uh, a nudge in that direction, not just with the Vikings, but, you know, in the greater country um, and you know, with, with people who are vaccine holdouts as well. So like that, hopefully that has some has some impact. We're still, you know, still close to three weeks away from the season. So, you know, if guys can start the process now and, and get things going, they can be, a, you know, they can have the benefits of that and, and be, a, you know, be fully inoculated not too long into the season. The bigger news on uh, on Monday, though, was the Vikings deciding to bring back Everson Griffin. Now, they'd brought him in for a workout last week. It wasn't clear if they were going to sign him. We talked on the Access Vikings podcast last week. Maybe we're going to look and see how their other defensive ends did during the second preseason game. And, you know, they must have looked at it and said, you know, Everson Griffin can help us. You know, Mike Zimmer pretty clear that Griffin doesn't figure to be a starter necessarily that that's obviously subject to change everything is based on performance but you know someone who can help them out situationally has had a ton of sacks in his career was a star for this team on some very good defenses so if he's got some stuff left in the tank that uh, that will be helpful the bigger thing though is just there's two things about this that are not surprising at all and one that is surprising let's start with the things that aren't necessarily surprising you know one Bringing back an old friend. The Vikings love to do that. and In fact, this is the third that I can count. Third former player already. Actually, fourth former player they've brought back already this year um, to, to be on this defense. You got you know Sheldon Richardson. You got Stephen Weatherly. You got Mackenzie Alexander. And now you've got Everson Griffin. Mike Zimmer loves familiarity on his defense. He loves the continuity. He loves guys that can step into that scheme. Loves guys who he knows what they can do, or at least knows what they've been able to do in the past. So another familiar face on this defense. Another unsurprising thing about this is it's a defensive upgrade. The Vikings have spent pretty much their entire offseason, at least in free agency, adding defensive players. Now I thought it was interesting because I, I needed to know like what the, what the total was on all this. So I went to I went to spot track, you know, not necessarily the uh, the end all be all, but pretty good with contracts, knowing what the guaranteed money is, stuff like that. I count eight different players that the Vikings have signed from other teams this offseason on defense. 
I mentioned a few of them just a minute ago, but let's go through the whole list. Dalvin Tomlinson, Patrick Peterson, Sheldon Richardson, Brashad Breland, Stephen Weatherly, Xavier Woods, Nick Vigil, and Mackenzie Alexander. And then now Everson Griffin would make nine since he did play for Detroit and Dallas last season. The, the numbers on Griffin aren't in yet in terms of contract, but in terms of guaranteed money, um, those guys at signing, that was $32 million the Vikings invested in the defense. Most of these guys on short-term, you know, one-year deals, um, you know, kind of showing that they're loading up for this year. Um, but still, that's a lot of guaranteed money, and they'll probably end up making more if they all make the team, which it seems like all of those guys are probably going to make the team. On offense, what was the guaranteed money they've given out? $137,500 to D.D. Westbrook. That's the guaranteed money on offense spent on outside free agents. Um, and you can say, you know, Mason Cole, they got him in a trade. I don't know how much guaranteed money that is, but it's not much. And then you've got, you know, they, they definitely invested in the draft on offense, too, with some offensive linemen, things like that. But if you're talking about just pure free agency, the Vikings went all in on the defense this year and barely spent it all on upgrading the offense. And you can say, well, that makes sense. The offense was pretty good last year. The defense was bad. Yeah, I get it, but I still wish they would have spent a little more on the offensive line in particular. Now the surprising part. Coaches hate disruptions. Coaches coaches hate distractions. Everson Griffin has the potential to be that because of what he said, you know, last year in a couple different instances. One, you know, kind of going off on, you know, Zimmer's comment on him being a good player before they were going to play Detroit last year. And then um, going off on Twitter, social media, just eight months ago, Calling, you know, calling out Kirk Cousins using a word that I'm not going to use on this podcast, and then also um, saying Mike Zimmer never wanted him, didn't want him here. Ask Mike Zimmer if he wanted Kirk, things like that. Now uh, he did address that. I will give him credit. He got asked about that on Monday. Everson Griffin did in his uh, in his return to the Vikings news conference. Here's what he had to say about that Twitter exchange. Um, I haven't I haven't really talked to him yet, but I'm gonna get around to doing that. You know, apologize to him. You know, apologize to you know Coach Zim and Rick um, about what I said. You know, I take full ownership in that. You know, um, you know, but I got still I still gotta talk to Kurt and you know apologize to him about that. Um. Now that said, you can apologize, but you can't unsay what you said. If this becomes a thing in the locker room, um, if if Kirk Cousins is upset about this, and you know some of you. I wrote about this yesterday. Some of you don't care. Some of you are so mad at Kirk Cousins for various things, vaccine hesitancy being at the top of that list, and I get that. I'm 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 upset with him about that too. But if if your bottom line is winning this year, you need Kirk Cousins. Your your other quarterbacks are not ready. That was the point I was trying to make in what I wrote yesterday. It seems like an odd business decision to upset your quarterback. I get it that you're probably just at your wits end on a lot of things with him. You've had him for this is his fourth year. Um, hasn't gone the way you wanted to in a lot of ways. You've only made the playoffs once. He's made a lot of money. I get all that. But if you want to win in 2021, if you want to have a good offense in 2021, you need Kirk Cousins. And bringing in a guy who at this point is a situational pass rusher who could disrupt some of Kirk Cousins and what he wants to do in terms of how he feels, That's a, that's. I'm surprised by that because coaches hate that. We'll see if it plays out. We'll see if, if there's an apology and it doesn't really matter. If it does come up later in the season, though, don't forget this moment. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. 
For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really happy to be joined on Daily Delivery Day by Chip Scoggins, columnist and enterprise writer for the Star Tribune. And the piece you had Sunday kind of falls into that latter category. Chip, how you doing? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm good. Um, really interesting story you had uh, Sunday on you know, charitable gaming and kind of its impact on youth sports in the state. I got to be honest, Chip, I read it. I, I had a vague idea. Obviously, you know, I haven't spent as much time in bars lately, just, you know, for a number of different reasons, COVID, having kids, things like that. Just I don't go out as much, but obviously I have a, a, an understanding that when you play pull tabs, it's, it's funding something. It's not like I've never played a few pull tabs before, but I had no idea the, the scope of this. Maybe at the start, can you give me some of the, the numbers and even just how you kind of got into reporting and writing this story about the business of charitable gaming and youth sports? Yeah, sure. I'll tell you how I got into it. It fascinated me in the same way that you did you. My wife was on city council uh, out here in Woodbury. She uh, no longer is, but last fall, um, uh, uh, a pull tab issue came up with the city. And so they did a study and she came home from the meeting that night and she's like, asked me if I knew how much youth sports associations make off pull tabs. And I, I'm with you. I'm not a, not a big bar guy. And I, I don't know that I've ever played pull tabs. I've seen them in bars, right. But I've never paid attention to them that much. And I was, I said, I don't know, 20,000. <laughs> and she said, try, and I forgot the number, but it was something like 700,000. I'm like, what? And the, the study that they had commissioned was, was um, they'd gotten the data from the state uh, gambling control board, which every year does puts out a report on each organization throughout the, the state that has a gambling license. And so I called them. I'm like, is this normal? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this is a big deal. And so what I found out, so I started doing reporting. I, it just fascinated me that this relationship and as a fundraising, a vital fundraising source for youth sports organizations Charitable gambling, primarily pull tabs that makes up like 95% of it. But there's some bingo and, and different games like that, but primarily pull tabs. So just gambling alone, charitable gambling in the state in 2020, total sales, $2.1 billion. Um, of those total sales. Billion. $2.1 billion. Billion. We like to gamble. Um, of that... 30, there's 183 youth sports organizations that have license. You have to have a gambling license. You have to have a gambling manager. But to operate a pull tabs booth or operate bingo, you have to have a license. And there's 183 sports organizations in the state that have those. And they made up 30% of that $2.1 billion in sales. And so they don't get all that money, obviously, in taxes, expenses, um, different things uh, go into that, but just the sheer volume and these associations rely on it um, because youth sports have gotten expensive, ice time, training, all these different things we can talk about. But you're talking about millions and millions of dollars that are being spent to help offset costs and do for, for use for participation um, and then also to do projects and different things um, to really 
give kids every advantage they can to develop their skills. Yeah. And you wrote, I think it was like a hundred million dollars in net net receipts in 2020. Yeah. And net receipts are, you have your total sales yeah, and you have to give out prizes, right? Right. And so basically 85% of every dollar spent on a pool tab, bingo, charitable gambling goes back to the player. So you have that 15 cents multiplied by many, many, many. So it was a hundred million dollars in net receipts that, um, these 183 associations combined for uh, last year. And that's, you know, that's a year where I imagine it was down a little bit because of COVID and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, 2019 uh, was the high point so far. And then obviously because of the shutdowns and different things, they, uh, everybody took a step back in 2020, but uh, in talking to people, once everything came uh, open to back up, the gambling just skyrocketed to at rates that, they haven't seen before. So I don't know if they're just pent up, you know, yeah, uh, whatever that people wanted to get back in bars and, and, and play pool tabs and, and bingo. Um, so they're, they're on pace for, I imagine 2021 is going to be a record year because of the surge that people all around the Metro are seeing. And a lot of this is electronic pool tabs now, right? Which was a big, that was a big discussion point when they were trying to fund the Viking stadium. Was it not? Well, that's what it is. Yeah. When that, so that came in, um, however long the U S bank stadium has been around. It really start. If you remember at the time, Michael, it started off really slow. Nobody yes. was, them. people were still uh, just their habits were the, the paper pull tabs. They just wanted to do the paper ones as people got more comfortable, maybe with technology and just being on their phones or just whatever, seeing them more. Um, we have seen double digit growth in um e-tabs, electronic pull tabs in the last couple of years to where it's, it's a nice compliment to the paper tabs. I think there are people are, are now shocked by how many, how much revenue that's produced. And if you remember this last le- legislative slash session, it came up where uh, some legislator proposed a bill that would, people feared would take away e-tabs because I guess the e-tab games, when the bill was written, they were supposed to be a facsimile of paper tabs. They're supposed to be like paper tabs. Okay. Like just electronic version of them. Um, apparently they're not that now. <laughs> they're, okay. They look more like slot machines. Okay. Uh, and they feel like that, that goes against uh, uh, the intent of the rule. There's a lot of pretty heated, you know, heated dialogue about that because uh, proponents of, e-tabs and, and where they are now fear that if, if you make them go back to what they were and make the 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 game makers change their technology they're just gonna say it's too costly we're just gonna do away with e-tabs altogether long story short it didn't get it didn't make it through the legislature okay. it wasn't put in a bill so but i don't think that's the last we've heard of it and, and the legislators who are trying to get that changed um have said that's not the last word of it so i'm guessing this is going to come up in the, in the future but yes e-tabs are a big reason why charitable gambling was at $2.1 billion uh, last year. And that total, obviously, like you said, we've got the net receipts and you've got some individual associations that, you know, take in hundreds of thousand dollars a year in, you know, in, in receipts to, to fund things. Now, my question, I guess, as, as you kind of looked at this and looked at what this is primarily funding, how did we get to a point where we needed this to fund things? 
Well, uh, yeah, let's take like White Bear Lake hockey, for example. They're one, they're number two in total sales, uh, number two in in the state, number two in 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 uh, net total sales last year, twenty four million dollars. That's twenty four million dollars for one youth hockey association. One, one yeah, and, association? and that's in and that's in seven. They're in seven different uh, bars and restaurants up there. Now, uh, prizes were twenty one million, so their their net was three point five million dollars. Now they didn't get three point five. I mean, you got their operation is incredible, and I followed them. I mean, they have a gambling manager who oversees sixty five employees, and they pay a hundred thousand dollars a month in taxes. Um, it's it's just staggering how big that is but so a couple years ago their city-owned rink came to them and said hey we need a new uh, refrigeration system the old one's outdated doesn't work it's gonna have to be replaced if it's not replaced they're gonna have to sell the building and close it down and then where are there 800 kids that are in the program going to practice and so they they put up two and a half million dollars to fix their refrigeration system all from gambling proceeds um my kids played basketball growing up, I, so they didn't play hockey. So I didn't realize how expensive ice time is for sure. if you have a big association. Some of these associations said they're spending six hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand a year just on just to rent ice, so their kids can practice. Well, you can even offset that with gambling money, or you can offset that with parents paying it. And so imagine if you put that bill on the parents, how expensive that would be to play hockey. Um. Just there's scoreboards that need to be replaced. There's dugouts that need to be built. There are officials that need to be paid. And so all this money is being used to really kind of offset some of the costs that parents see. And if you have kids in sports, you know how expensive it is. Um, I, I talked to one uh, gambling manager, uh, Bob Adams, who also does wrestling. He said it would it would shut down a lot of sports. It would devastate sports if you did not have gambling revenue. And, and people told me that the number of kids that are able to play would be greatly reduced because the cost would just be too much for their family. Now, is this like because sports have just gotten you know, more expensive, bigger business in general? You know, coaches sometimes get more, you know, you could be paying for turf fields and things like that. This isn't the 70s and 80s anymore where sports were, you know, a little bit just more um the cost associated with running sports wasn't uh, wasn't as great. So I guess my question is, how much of this is funding want, and how much of this is funding need? In some in some uh, cases, I would say both. I would say both. Um, it's a little bit of keeping up with the the other suburbs, right? Chasing a little bit. Now some of it is. I don't know what the ice time or the ice bills were, seventies, eighties, but I, I can't imagine they weren't seven hundred thousand dollars back then. So a lot of that is. You know, when you're talking about equipment rental, uh, fixing a refrigeration system in a in a arena so it doesn't yes. start. But they're also using these the funding to build dry land facilities. It has these state of the art equipment. I went down to Apple Valley and they had a skating treadmill that was a hundred thousand um, dollars. Well, other associations are getting these things right, and so it's it's a little bit of that. Do they need that? Could your kids develop without it? Well, they have for historically without an indoor skating treadmill, but um, but other programs are doing it and making that investment in kids. And so you don't want to get left behind in what you're doing to help give your kids every advantage to compete. And so, um, so I think it's a combination of 
things that absolutely are essential and then some that you're, you're just trying to give kids every advantage you can to develop their skills, you know, and it, cause the thing is when you get to the high school level, you're trying to win state tournaments and those type things and have the best program possible. And so it, it doesn't start when you come in ninth grade, it starts down in the youth programs and the feeder system and giving those kids every opportunity. Is there any, I mean, concern, I feel like, you know, I'm going to probably write about this and broach this as, as the year goes on here, but I feel like gambling itself has become more mainstream in, in recent years. There's, you know, a lot of pro leagues that are, that used to just distance themselves a lot from gambling are now kind of cozying up to the notion of it. You're seeing different States legalizing, you know, sports wagering, things like that. This is a little different. Like, are there people who have a problem with the intermingling of youth sports and what essentially is gambling? Yes. I I talked to, um, the director of, and I'll, I'll forget the name of the gambling alliance here in Minnesota, North Star, uh, I think it's North Star Gambling Alliance. Um, and that was ex- precisely her point, is that gambling is becoming more accepted as, as a societal norm. It's more, you're seeing, as you mentioned, states are legalizing it, and it's just becoming more part of our lives now. And, and her concern is, just the protections and the, uh, um, you know, education uh, of it. And by law, at the, if you, at these pull tabs booths, there has to be a hotline number there that if you have a problem gambling, call this number. She said it needs to go well beyond that. Right. And, um, her stat was her association stat was that there are 200,000 Minnesotans who fall on the problem gambling spectrum. Now that, that spectrum is probably pretty wide and, and what we, you know, a person they put on the spectrum probably is not what we consider a problem gambler, but the, you know, it's a spectrum. Sure. So, so, but their, their concern is as gambling becomes more popular and more prevalent in our lives, that there are what they call guardrails to prevent people from losing their houses or losing their families and, and those type of things. And then, and she has seen people that get addicted to pull tabs and it, you know, they, um, to a point where, um, it, it interferes with their life. And so, yeah, I think that, yeah, there are people that are, that there are, um, as gambling as, as states, each individual states are discussing whether they should legalize it and, and, you know, the way in the pros and cons, I mean, there's definitely people that are against it because of, um, they know where gambling can lead. Maybe we should go all in. We could like set lines for White Bear Lake against Blaine. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, and, and that's the thing, Mike. The uh, hockey associations associations typically have the most sophisticated and the largest um, gambling operations. I think five of the ten, uh, five of the top ten in total sales are hockey. Uh, of all the associations, there's a well, thousand. Hockey's expensive too. It's expensive sport. And that's the thing. It's the most expensive. I mean, when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in ice time that other sports just don't have to deal with that and equipment's expensive. And so, but the hockey people, um, they've done it for a long time. They're very sophisticated. Uh, they know how to, you know, really pick the right restaurants to get into because that, that their bars, that's very important because, I mean, people said if, if you get into the wrong bar, it's doomed to fail and then you got a big problem. I mean, these are sophisticated, big businesses that these associations are running and it can't be, it's not parent volunteers. 
you need a gambling manager that that is their job. It's a paid position to run this operation because you're talking about millions of dollars in cash. And that can go sideways if it's, you know, if it's not, if there's not proper oversight, which they're, the state gambling control board has uh, audits and everybody has their, each association does their own independent audits because you have to, I mean, you have to be accountable for this because if you're not and there's theft or there's kinds of problems, the state's going to come knock on your door and then you're going to have a real problem and you could lose your license. Well, yeah. And I was going to ask you about that. Maybe that's kind of the, the final point here. You talked about, you know, guardrails to protect against, you know, people having problems gambling. I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of, if you don't have the right professionals in place, you think you wrote about this in, in the story, which again is on Star Tribune, startribune.com, still really good piece go check it out you know it's it, you know there's there, with so much money at, at play and cash in a lot of cases cash only you got to imagine i mean maybe the temptation is the wrong word but just the the opportunity for things to go sideways like you said is 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 there well no i think there is probably temptation with some people and there's opportunity but in talking to people who run those the the association presidents and the from the gambling control board there is so much oversight that is required in accounting and detailed bookkeeping that is required by state that I had one gambling manager or one uh, association uh, president told me, if you steal any money of any substance from your gambling proceeds, you're going to get caught. It's just a matter of when, because you have to have detailed reporting to the state monthly reports. There has to be um, audits. The state does uh, independent review sometimes the department of revenue will every so often will will there it's not uncommon for these associations to get audited three times in a year and so it would be but they but there's you know they they constantly the state gambling control board constantly educates these associations that say you know it cannot be a one person operation because that's just you're opening yourself up for problems there but i i think as this, as the money has grown, the revenue, as gambling has grown, and there's it's become a bigger and bigger operation, I think there is a lot more oversight um, and regulations in in the in the business. And so, it people say it would be awfully hard to steal and get away with it. But it it these you know it is concerns for those people because you you have to be vigilant and you have to every receipt and every. Thing has to be accounted for on a monthly basis when you present those uh, reports to your board. Well, once again, Chip, great stuff in the story. Really enjoyed having you on the podcast. I had, again, I just love stories where I learned something where I had no idea what a big business this was. And it sounds like you didn't either until you started digging into it. Yeah, that was the thing. It was fun to report. Um, I got early on, it was complicated because it was just something yeah. foreign. I didn't, I didn't understand, you know, like I said, I'm not a into the pool tent thing. And, and um, so I found it fascinating just this relationship and how important charitable gambling is to youth sports, being able to survive and operate and, and do the things that they do right now. And, and I hope people, uh, you know, there's some sticker shock for me in reading those numbers. And, and I hope people uh, give, you know, give the story a read and, and, and maybe learn something about it too. Absolutely. Chip, great stuff. We'll talk to you again down the road. All right. Thank you. Great conversation with Chip Scoggins. Always love to catch up with Chip. Such a well-reported story. You can still go read that. Star Tribune, startribune.com. On a tangentially related uh, gambling note, Bally Sports North, Bally Sports Channels, 
Um, yeah, you know, they, they want to do the gambling eventually. Uh, this is a carriage update. They, this sounds like from what I read in uh, Sports Business Journal Media, uh, John Auerend, who's, uh, you know, writes about this, does, does a really good job. Um, he, he says, you know, they, they got an, ex- there's an extension in the negotiations between Dish and Sinclair, Sinclair being the parent company of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that runs all these Valley Sports North channels that used to be Fox Sports North. They, they, they they've been, there's been an impasse between these two. It sounds like, um, the, you know, there, there's talk about a whole bunch of local broadcast stations going away. That seems like if if a deal gets done, that uh, that there's an, that, that there's a deal for these Valley Sports North regional sports networks that could follow. And the the terms of the deal, um, Sports Business Journal is reporting could be such that other carriers would be interested enough in these terms and would want to get those same terms. So pay attention in the next couple days to some movement potentially on this front. There could be some good news for Dish customers who want to watch the Twins, the Wolves, the Wild. I'm not getting my hopes up until it actually happens. The Lynx, the United, pretty much everybody but the Vikings. Um, And maybe, you know, we'll, we'll see if there's others that follow. Obviously, the streaming wars, we've covered that. I wonder if this will have an impact on some of that. That that we need to wait and see on. We even need to wait and see if this dish thing really happens. But there could be finally some good news on this front. And thank you to Matt Wells for pointing me in this direction. Speaking of good news, it sounds like the, the uh, Russia threat of Kirill Kaprizov going to play over there is not uh, not materializing. No surprise there. Nothing imminent um, on the contract front, but... Uh, just like Chip Scoggin said on the show oh, 10, 10, 12 days ago, he doesn't expect anything less than the wild signing Kaprizov. So let's watch for that to happen as well in not too long. Let's finish quick with the cooler. I had a thought the other day when Byron Buxton was homering for the Saints, when Joe Ryan was you know, piling up nine strikeouts and in four innings in his debut, and Jose Miranda keeps having an impressive season, uh, more than impressive um, thank goodness the Saints are here this year, right? With the, with the Twins playing so poorly, by and large, this season, at least you have this team over in St. Paul where you can have a, have a shred of excitement about the future. You'd love to see all of those guys, especially Buxton, back in a Twins uniform sooner rather than later. Um, but just the fact that you have that option now strikes me as, you know, I appreciated it when it happened. I appreciate it even more in the context of the season that is happening right now. Now and they're gone on the road for a couple weeks, but they do have a couple more home series left this season. I think September seventh is when they are back in town. That'll do it for today. Thanks for joining me so much, Drew McGarry. Expected to be on Wednesday's show. More Vikings talk with Drew should be tons of fun. Thanks for joining me so much today. Read Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. I'm Michael Rand. We'll be back on Wednesday.